Hello, Texans. Welcome to the podcast. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you as uh, we miss Texans All Access on Sports Radio 610 during this period where we will be not on the air, but we will be on the air the day after the Super Bowl. But we're on the air here and you're listening to us. So we're grateful, Johnny. All right, let's get into some of these candidates for the Houston Texans coaching vacancy. And let's start with the latest announcement. Jonathan Gannon, Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator. Gut reaction, my friend. Well, the first thing I thought of, uh, you know, he's got Indianapolis ties and then he went to Philadelphia. And the first thing I thought of was a buddy of mine, Fran Duffy, sort of the, the guy who does the film work, kind of the, the me of Philadelphia, who mm-hmm. I, I love and I've gotten to know over the years. There's Fran's no other a, you. I mean, Fran's a, I mean, he's a straight shooter and he just, he, the way that he spoke about Gannon was so uh, eff- just uh, ebullient. I mean, he was so effervescent in his praise of like, mm-hmm. boy, we really like him. Hopefully we can keep him. Um, and, and that's seemingly the, the you know, it, this is this is not your older brother's coaching search, not not just the Texans. I'm talking mm. across the board, you know, uh, the thought of, well, this guy has to have been a coordinator at some point. He's had to spend five years as a coordinator. All those kind of old school thoughts are out the window They're, they're Get rid of them, because right. that's not the way coaching searches are, are going to be done anymore. And I look at these coaching candidates and you look at Gannon, he's had one year as a defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Mark, think back to when you got into the league. Now I know Dom Capers is already here, but that would never, that would never fly back in 2002, never fly in 2002. Well, you only had one year coordinating a defense. How is he going to coordinate an entire football team? Things have changed, man. Things have really changed and not just in football, but in all sports, you know, you think about, what goes on in baseball with the uh, heavy reliance on analytics and what managers are supposed to do with pitchers, et cetera, everything's changed. And so this coaching uh, hire is probably going to be a little bit different. You're going to see and hear names that are like, well, wait a second, that guy's only coached two years, like Heinz Ward, but the things that you're now looking for in a head coach, they may be present in some of those guys. So Jonathan Gannon is definitely one of those guys. He's a close friend of Brandon Staley. My guess is, as close friends typically are, they probably think about ball uh, in a different way. Uh, obviously, we've seen that with Brandon Staley with the LA Chargers and his reliance on analytics and his thoughts on defense. And his defense in particular is yeah. very vibrant and different. Even though the, the Texans ran all over it, they were missing Joey Bosa, Darwin James. But it's a defense that, as you have the players to go along with it, it's one that can be very adaptable week to week. And I'm not talking game plan defense or anything like that, but it can be different. So Jonathan Gann's a really exciting candidate to think about, even though it's only been one year. And Oh, by the way, who's the team you hate worse than poison Indianapolis. And who would you might have some inside information from walking in the building? Hey, that doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Oh yeah. To know how the other side thinks, Hey, I know what they do in this situation. I know what they like in this situation to be able to think that way. I think is very helpful. I mean, I see with Vrabel with, yep. with the Tennessee Titans. I know that there were times that he probably sat there and went, I know how that coaching staff thinks. I know how they're going to approach this. So mm-hmm. I think that can help. Even if it's just worth that much, it's worth an inch. You take it. He coached DBs there and he was with Sirianni. I mean, Sirianni's on the other side, obviously, mm-hmm. at the time. But Sirianni brought him with him to Philadelphia 
and they had a really good year relatively. I mean, this team looked like it was left for dead. Weren't they two and five yeah. and they end up making the playoffs? That's yep. never happened. Oh, wait a minute. It happened here. So I like that. They did that for them. And they did it with an offense that's not exactly – look, Jalen Hurts, I like him. He's very likable. But he's not exactly Patrick Mahomes. Yet they found a way to get themselves into the playoffs and play better defensively as the season went on. And I know that division's not uh, that great, but they got the job done. And they got it to the postseason, and good yep. for them. I know it didn't go well against Tampa Bay. But Gannon, interesting. You know, you bring up a lot of good points here. I think for Nick Casario, and I know he's on Sports Radio 610 on Tuesday morning, and uh, we have an article on the website about that, uh, said a lot of interesting things. You know, for him, Johnny, you got to be able to get along. We all know that. You have yeah. to have alignment. You have to have this uh, working in an ensemble kind of way, effectively thing going about you here because you have the whole staff. You're going to disagree on some things. You're going to have to find a way to break those ties. And for any incoming coach who does not have head coaching experience, there's just a big difference. I'll always say this. I don't care where the guy comes from. There's a big difference in sitting in the big chair and having to address the team every day and make really tough team decisions. Having Nick around does help. And I'll tell you what else helps. Having Nick around after a year of going through what Nick's gone through as the guy sitting in the big chair for the first time as the GM. Now, he's done it in New England, but Belichick's there. Now he's been here as the exclusive, the sole guy, as the general manager. I think that really helps him. But uh, Gannon, is, he's an interesting candidate. I think a couple of guys came up as surprises, and that would be Heinz Ward and Joe mm -hmm. Lombardi. And let's go over Lombardi first. I talked to Bobby Bear, who played quarterback for the Saints, covers the Saints, WWL, and New Orleans and all that, and he said he's a clone of Sean Payton and a Pete <laughs> Carmichael, a combination clone because those yeah. guys have different personalities, but he feels like he's a lot like those guys in his football IQ and what he values in football. And look, the chargers were fourth in offense. I know he had a good quarterback to work with. He always had a good quarterback to work with during his time with the saints, but he's an interesting candidate nonetheless, and not one that was on this national radar going yeah. into last weekend. Well, thinking back to Nick's press conference, which I can't even remember what day it was. I guess it was, was that Friday? Friday. I yeah. think it was Friday. And, you know, he brought up, he brought up Mike Tomlin. I don't know if he was prompted yeah. by that, but he brought up Mike Tomlin, who I always find really interesting to think about when it comes to coaching hires. Now that was in, it was in 2007. The Rooney rule was really in its infancy and it obviously was named for, yes. uh, the Roonies in, in Pittsburgh. And they were the ones that pushed the opportunity for minorities, for women to have opportunities to interview for these high ranking jobs, GM, head coach, et cetera. And they were trying to fulfill the last part, essentially trying to satisfy the Rooney rule by bringing in this, you know, hotshot one year defensive coordinator from Minnesota named Mike Tomlin. They brought him in and they're blown away by him. And nobody saw it coming. All of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. You're going, you're going from Chuck Knoll to Bill Cower to some dude who has, like, one year coordinating a defense. I mean, everybody's up in arms. And then Tomlin took over, and obviously the rest is history. Now, Joe Lombardi is probably a little bit more known, I guess, mm -hmm. from the standpoint that he's been able to coordinate offenses. He's been more a part of that, I suppose, over a certain number of years. And obviously – you know, he's the grandson of Vince Lombardi, which is always cool to talk about. But his dad, I met his dad many, many years ago, Vince Lombardi Jr. And, you know, his dad didn't really get 
the football bug. He went into business and it was the grandson, Joe Lombardi, who did, who's the same age as me was actually went to the air force Academy. I was thinking about it, but he's a guy that I think about in that same vein of Tomlin, a guy that walks in, I would think he's been around the game for a while. If he walks in there in an impressive interview, like, Whoa, okay. And how could you not want some sort of linkage to one of the better offenses that there's ever been. I thought you were going to say linkage to Lombardi. No, 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 <laughs> no, to, to Sean Payton. Yeah, I know. To, you know, yeah. that offense. Um, and of course, I mean, it doesn't hurt that, you know, at some point <laughs> I would imagine you'd put up a picture of his grandpops up in the office, Lombardi. which would be kind of nice. Yeah. Um, the point being having the connection to Sean Payton and, and what that offense has done and what you, what you take in through osmosis, if you will. I mean, I, it's, it's funny because, when you know we're talking about you know Joe Lombardi's not a guy that was seemingly on radar screens. I know he is interviewed for head coaching jobs. When you are somewhere for a while, you start to think. You start like you say this to me all the time. You throw something out there, and you're like, I know how you're going to think about that. Well, you know we've been together for for eight years now. Yeah, you're yeah. you're probably going to know, and I know how you're going to think about things. You start to kind of think like one. Well, Joe Lombardi was doing that with the Saints, with Pete Carmichael, with Sean Payton, and I'm sure that hasn't gone away from him. So to have that also uh, as part of the resume, I think is really interesting. I was glad, really glad to see Joe Lombardi be a part of the discussion because a guy that's been around an organization like the Saints for so long, I'm sure there's a lot of things that he can bring in. Not that it's polar opposite of what's in New England, but the fact that it's different. Yeah, I think is fascinating, to be honest. Yeah, I think it is. And as long as they get along, you know, with him and with Gannon, you have that. Now, with Gannon, you have the John Carroll tie in with Nick for whatever that's worth. Yeah. Uh, but look, uh, maybe it does mean something. Who knows? All right. Heinz Ward. This kind of blew me away a bit. I thought Heinz yeah. Ward, really? Is he coaching? He was with the Jets and now with Florida Atlantic. So at least he's coaching, which shows me one thing. That's very important here. It's not like you're taking former player who has not been in the coaching grind. He's familiar at the very least with the grind of it, because there's no, I worried about that with Deion Sanders going to college, like the grind of it. Does Deion understand this? Because the TV life is very different from the coaching life. As we all know, I don't care what level you're at. There are hours involved that I wasn't sure. You know, I wasn't, doubting him but i wasn't sure that he was totally aware of Of course he's aware of it but aware of the wear and tear effect on on his own body and his own being being able to survive through that and thrive through that which he has obviously especially recruiting my gosh but anyway heinz ward's been through it with the jets now it's florida atlantic and bill hillgrove voice of the steelers told me this guy's a born leader you know i thought he's when he said born i thought it was gonna be win no born leader and i love that i love that about heinz ward that he's a leader and obviously he is a winner and he's a guy who knows how to talk to people he's got a great deal of experience doing that so i think that makes him intriguing i don't know what he's gonna do um as a head coach i don't know if he's gonna be a head coach but I'm down with it. Go ahead and talk to as many people as possible. You know why? What else? It's like free agency or uh, pre-draft interviews, right? Yeah. This is one round. Some of these guys might be available as coordinators later. Maybe something happens, God forbid, with your head coach down the line or whatever, you know, and then you have another decision to make. Uh, But it behooves you to get as much information on all these individuals as possible. There's a part of me that hopes that Nick and everybody interview about 20 guys. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and women, men, I, I don't care. I mean, interview the number of people that you're interested in. And I told this on, on, in the lab, the short version is I, after a couple of years of just coaching at junior high, I had applied for the head coaching job at Bishop Kenny high school, which is a Catholic school around a corner, about three or four times bigger than Episcopal. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I'm 24. I, I, I don't think I'm gonna get this, but you know what? I'm going to go interview my buddy knew the, uh, my buddy uh, who coached with me had played for the AD over there. I said, put it a good word called me over for an interview. And like the first words out of his mouth were, look, I, I don't think you're going to get this job, but, and so we chatted for, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half. And lo and behold, they gave it to somebody else, a guy who became a great friend of mine. And he said, call John Harris because I'd like him on the staff. And so he had, didn't even know me, wow. but just that interview opened things up for me to come over to be a position coach. Well, mm -hmm. things didn't go great for us. Things didn't go great for coach. And so he moved on after a year. And all of a sudden, come the springtime, I already told them that I was leaving. I was going, I was going to go back to graduate school at that point. And they came to me and said, you want to be the head coach? And I'm oh, like, geez, I'm like dumbfounded. Like, whoa. And I mean, I, I still, I wasn't ready for it. But through that interview process, I was able to kind of say, here's my football life. Here's what I believe in. Here's who I am. And I knew full well I wasn't going to get that job. But the fact that. What do you that, mean you weren't ready for it? Was McVay ready for the Rams? Yes. You were ready yeah. for that job, Johnny. Yeah. But the point is, they interviewed <laughs> me and a, and, and a few other guys. And out of that, they got me to, to come there. So even if some of these guys are thinking, look, maybe it's not in the cards for that person to be the head coach. But in the interview process, they're overwhelmed. Like, man, we love this guy. Yeah. We want to bring this guy here. We had the opportunity to do it. Let's see if we can't get a hire with this particular coach and then contact these other coaches. Now, look, everybody knows the game and, and everybody that walks in there has got to feel like, you know, maybe that's a part of it. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe you say, Hey, I want to be the head coach, but in your mind, you're going, I just want to get in the, get in the building. I just want to be on the coaching staff. I want to see if I can impress them enough to be part of what they're building, et cetera. And you move on. So, to me, if they interview 20, 25 guys, and maybe five to seven of them are guys that you would never think would be the head coach, mm -hmm. but there's an avenue for them somewhere in the building to be part of it, so be it. Couch it as yeah. a head coach interview and just have that interview so people are and, – and look, maybe it's for that that – maybe it's opening opportunities for that coach elsewhere too. I just think it's a win-win on every situation. You get to learn a little bit more, and of course – I go back to that Tomlin story. Who's going to know more, more about Mike Tomlin than Heinz Ward? And by the way, I kind of want Heinz Ward with us. I mean, I really do. Because what I think a lot of people forget was back in his days in, at Georgia, their quarterbacks all died. I don't know what happened to them. They're all dead. They, they were done. And Heinz Ward went to the coaching staff and said, I think he's a freshman. He said, I can do it. Put me a quarterback. I'll figure it out. And they went and won a ton of games with him that particular year before he moved back to wide receiver when they got Mike Bobo. That's and to strong. me, it's one of the things that just goes to what more can you do? So everybody remembers yeah. him as a receiver. I remember that. That's one thing that always stands out to me about Heinz Ward is stepping in at quarterback when nobody, nobody was available. He did it. And not only that, he won games doing it. So I'd love to be able to talk to him about that. If Hopefully that'll happen. That is intriguing stuff. No question about it. And the other thing is, like, as Nick is talking to all these guys, staff has to come up. I mean, it has to be among the first things they talk about, you know, yeah. because the head coach is the head coach. It's monumentally important. But who's yeah. working for him is also right. monumentally important because 
and you and I have talked to, you know, Bill O'Brien and David Cully and all these coaches. And, and over the years, one thing I've gleaned from talking to, you know, people like Kubiak and Capers too, is that they really don't coach the players as much as they coach the coaches, right? Yep. They've got to manage the coaches and right. be there for the players and motivate the players and show direction and vision for the players. But the coaches, the assistants coach the players, you know, every once in a while, OB would get in there and mix it up and like, here's yeah. how you run around, but come on, you know, he can only do so much. It's gotta be the assistants doing the job. So that's really important, which brings me to my next candidate, Brian Flores, who look, I'm intrigued by Flores because he's been in the big chair and he's yeah. won. And he's won. I talked to Joe Rose, who uh, is with the uh, Dolphins as their color commentator, WQAM Morning Drive, former Dolphin tight end, caught two TDs in the 41-38 overtime, lost to uh, San Diego in that classic playoff matchup in 81. Anyway, he said he likes Flores. He thinks Flores can coach. He thinks the players play hard for him. He thinks that he's a motivator. Now, obviously, stuff went on in that building, right? And you're seeing a lot of conflicting reports. I don't want to get into all that right now. Just talking about Flores right now. I know. I mean, just based on what I've seen and heard, the guy can coach. Look at the results. How, the Dolphins have not had back-to-back winning seasons in almost 20 years. I mean, that's saying something in that market where they can't win. And he's done it down there. And I know they haven't gone to the playoffs and won big or whatever, but you know, he could probably tell you why, uh, but one and seven start, you go nine and eight. I think that's pretty good in a 17 game schedule. And I don't know where it's all going with him, but I think that he is somebody certainly I'm glad they're looking at him because he's got the experience and he can win. There's no question. I mean, we talk about, and I mentioned earlier, look, I, I the head coach to me needs to have qualities and if ex- experiences I don't know if you need to have experience. I mean, I think you look around the NFL and you see guys that were um, on their second tour of duty, Belichick, Andy Reid, that one mm-hmm. that one big. But you know what? Andy Reid did a great job in Philadelphia um, and was, you know, hardly a coordinator with the Green Bay Packers. Yep. Uh, you know, John Gruden went the first time John Gruden went to the um, Oakland Raiders. Raiders. Mm-hmm. He was outstanding. And I think he was a quarterback's coach. So, you know, they can come from all different, different types. What I like about Flores is not only has he been a head coach, he was a scout for a couple of years. Um, he coached special teams. He coached defense. He's been part of a lot of things that happened with the New England Patriots. And I read a story about, about Flores. This was, oh, it was probably three, four years ago. And Flores, I believe at the time, was a scout. And he went to somebody in the Patriots organization. I don't know if it was Belichick or whomever. And he said, I think I can do more. I think I can help the Patriots by doing more. This is what I'd like to do. And the Patriots were like, all right. And not to say they called his bluff, but they were like, hmm, okay, we agree. We're going to have you move to coaching. You're not going to be in coaching. Um, this is what we think you can do. And he just kind of rose wow. through the ranks of the Patriots. And before you know it, he ends up as a head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And I think the scouting side sometimes helps these guys. The fact that he coached special teams, you know, he's going to know the last guy on the roster and how much that guy matters um, and, and what that guy needs to do. So I'm, I'm intrigued by Flores, no doubt. Um, you know, how the thing ended in Miami, I, I think that's, that's worth asking questions about and Absolutely. trying to get some information. If you're, 
if you're Nick and the, and the Texan side of things and, and try and, and even though you may know Brian Flores a great deal, did, did something change? Mm-hmm. Is he still the same guy we remember? Because look, we all grow and evolve as individuals. And sometimes we evolve going in a direction that people don't think we're going to go. And, you know, they have to sit down and have that conversation. And I'm glad they did. But I think Brian Flores can coach yeah. uh, defense. I think he probably could take, could take care of an offense, but man can coach. He led that team to how many ever wins in a row. I mean, one and seven, you get him to nine and eight, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. You're doing something right. Yeah. So look, you don't always, I could, I could speak to this. You don't always get along with your AD or your general manager. It does. Mm-hmm. You just have different ways of looking at things, whether it's here, or in my case, many, many years ago, it happens. Competitive people butt heads on some things. And if you can't work it out, then it's time to move on and go somewhere so else. Important. So and important. so if you can do that and then succeed where, you know, at another location, great. Rock Johnny, on. I don't know how you feel, but looking at the amount of jobs open and the amount of, you know, the candidates, it's hard to rate them because ultimately you don't know who's going to work out. But some of the bigger names out there that are getting a lot of attention, like Brian Dable and people like that. You look around and I think it's a seller's market. You know, if you're a qualified candidate, there are a lot of teams looking. And then you wonder about GMs, teams that are looking for GMs and coaches. Well, that's tricky, right? You're interviewing a coach. Well, don't we have to get the GM first? (laughs) Are they going to get along? But who do you want to hire Mr. GM candidate? There's so many different questions to ask here. I'm just glad for the Texans situation that we have the GM in place did some nice things this year with this young group of players and everything. And the way he set things up, obviously you have to get the right guy in here. Uh, But around the league, it's going to be interesting to see how all this shapes up in the next couple of weeks. And then you have the playoffs going on too. So a couple of quick thoughts here. Yeah. First of all, all let's let's get into it now. Uh, Your buddy, Sal Mm -hmm. in Buffalo, they got to be so happy. That was so much fun to watch. I really enjoyed that so much. Oh my that gosh. bludgeoning of the New England Patriots. Oh my gosh, it was thrilling. I can't believe that New England couldn't figure out a way to at least slow them down. They just never did. Nothing. And credit Josh Allen because, hey, you know what? The calendar says January and it says playoffs. I'm running. I am yeah. running. And he threw the ball very well. But obviously when you have to defend everything like that with him, it's a nightmare. And it was on a zero degree night. So how many years, how many years did we go toe to toe with the Patriots and, and couldn't beat those suckers? I mean, mm-hmm. Oh, you couldn't beat them. And then finally in 2019 on Sunday night, we do it and we do it in that manner with a packed house finally exercising demons in some sense. I think what mm-hmm. people forget, obviously the Bills made the playoffs in 2019 because they came to play us. But last year when they had that season, they had no fans, none. Oh yeah. The entire season until they right. got to the playoffs. And then they could only have like five to 6,000 fans. And I texted Sal, Sal and I were texting a little bit. And it's so interesting. The pull that that organization, the Patriots has, and the impact it's had on the Bills. It's like, you know, and I told Sal, I was like, look, as long as Josh is okay, y'all are better. And he's like, yeah, I know, man, but Belichick, Belichick. They had such a pull in for, you know, 65, 70,000 people to all together exercise their demons with the uh, butt kicking they put on the Patriots. I mean, 
I, you know, I texted Sal after the game. It was like, he's on a high. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mm-hmm. can't, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the way that, in t- I mean, they stuck around, the fans stuck around because they didn't get to celebrate all of that last year with this team. They didn't have that opportunity, but then they get the opportunity in a first round playoff game against that team in their building. It was a 60 minute plus celebration. I mean, it was just, it was incredible to watch. I was happy for him. I hate the fact the Bills now have to play the Chiefs because the Bills and Chiefs right now are the two best teams in the FC. Three of us talked about it when we played the Titans. I think the Titans with Henry, good team. I think they're beatable. I think the Mm -hmm. Bills, Chiefs both beat the Titans. I think the Bengals are going to give the Titans all they can handle. Well, all they can handle. I was going to ask you that. What is it going to take? And we'll have another one of these before the end of the week, but the Bengals have to beat the Titans. This has to happen. Okay. Texans fans, you're Bengals fans. I've assigned you to be Bengals fans this week. Have to knock the Titans out immediately here. They got the bye. They get Henry back maybe, but he's full contact practice. Yep. I think they can do it, but man, you just got to bring some friends on defense to stop Derrick Henry because Burrow can light that defense up. You know he can. Do they have the offensive line to hold up against Simmons and those guys on rest? That's the that's the sixty four million dollar question. I think, I think they'll ha- they'll have to use Joe Mixon in the pass protection, which takes him out as a receiver, which is mm. tough. But if Mixon can help give Burrow time, he'll slice them to death. Here's the other thing I think about. I think, and I felt like there was a massive, massive amount of pressure on the Bengals. Massive amount. To They're get carrying. Over the hump. They're carrying 31 years of just, we've Mm. gotten close, we can't get over. Then they do it, and they do it in that fashion. And, yeah, they'll celebrate all week, and they've been celebrating, but they have no pressure now. The pressure all goes to the number one seed with the bye playing at home. The Titans carry all the pressure. And I'm telling you, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and those guys playing loose and free scares me to death if I'm a Titans fan, which I'm not. So I'm excited (laughs) <laughs> totally excited to see a team that, yeah, got a couple of key wins down the stretch, but I don't think the Titans showed much of anything. That Bengals team could score the best of them. If they make this a shootout, my goodness. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of 2017 with the Jags. The Jags just couldn't do anything that game against Buffalo in that playoff game, but they got just enough to win. The first playoff win in forever. Duval County celebrated. They had to go to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh was the number two seed. And they, and they went to them. Pittsburgh. And just let it all hang out. And they beat the bejesus out of Pittsburgh that weekend and then got to the AFC Championship game. I think the Bengals could could fit into that category. I don't know if I'm ready to pick the Bengals just yet. And it really doesn't matter about Henry or not. They got DJ Reader up front. They got some dudes on defense that can play a little bit. They just can't let the game get away from them so that they're all the way chasing. If they don't, yeah. I think they got a great shot to beat the, to beat the Titans in Tennessee. Man my rooting interests in the AFC are so clearly defined because I hate Kansas city. They have to go down. The bills have to win that game and the Bengals have to beat the Titans Uh, quickly here. NFC. Look, you know, those videos on Twitter, like satisfying videos accounts where it's just (laughs) like, you know, stuff pouring into stuff and it's all balanced and satisfying this weekend, watching the Patriots lose that way was so satisfying and watching the Cowboys lose was so satisfying. It really was. It was a beautiful thing to see. And we are fresh with that San Francisco memory. And yep. I'm watching that game thinking, we had these guys like down at the half. Yep. And there we were, 10-7 down in the fourth quarter. 
And look what they're doing at Dallas in the playoffs in Big D. I know they have Garoppolo playing, but he was hardly perfect. I mean, he threw the pick that enabled the Cowboys to get right back into the game. And you can see why you can see why they drafted Trey Lance and they went so aggressively after him. But I guess like they feel like we got to play Garoppolo. He just understands way too much about the game at this point. And Shanahan said something interesting that Jimmy will shake off a pick very quickly. However, I don't think they let him throw it after that. So there was <laughs> yeah. that also. I, I'm pretty sure it was straight handoff city. But uh, that that play at the end, obviously, everyone's talking about it around the league. It was uh, when he took off and ran. I thought, are you kidding? You better make it to the end zone because this ain't going to work. You know, I had no faith in that spot working. Uh, your thoughts in general on that one. OK, I got, I got a couple thoughts. Number one, I want to go back to the 2019 NFL draft. OK, the last the last pick of the first round was the New England Patriots. Do you remember who they selected? Last pick of the first round of 2019. Wide receiver, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. Okay. Four picks later, the San Francisco 49ers Ooh. selected Debo. Debo Samuel Ooh. of the 49ers. Can you, imagine, can you imagine what they would be doing with Debo Samuel? And if that doesn't have your attention, at pick number 51, 15 picks later, the next receiver off the board. Ayuk. A.J. Brown, Tennessee oh. Titans. <laughs> what? And if that didn't get you, the next receiver off the board came at pick number 56, Nicole Hardman from the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs. The Patriots passed on all three of those guys to get to, and thank God they did, because could you imagine Debo Samuel with that group in New England? Uh, Holy oh. Anyways. So that's one thing. Here's the, here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. When I saw it, when I saw, when I saw Dak take off, the first thought is WTF. Then I looked at the clock and went, they could do this. I get this kind of, and you know what I thought about 2018 at Indy, there was 18 seconds left and Deshaun threw that slant route to hop. And when Deshaun got to the line of scrimmage behind the line, everybody was set with like seven seconds left. Mm-hmm. And all this is going in my mind because Deshaun then waited till there were like three seconds left, snapped it, spiked it. We kicked it on the next play and won the game. But I thought 18 seconds to me was always kind of the cutoff from that perspective. But we did that so cleanly that we were ready to go with like seven. So I can imagine Dallas practiced that over and over and over again. But the the spot is crucial. Like, well, they they have to have that in mind. It's not so much the spot, but as soon as Dak got up, he needed to run the ball over to the umpire and give him the ball. But he was still way behind them at that point. Right. He needed to but look for him. But he needed to look for him to give him the ball, and everybody yeah. had to get out of the way so that he could put it down, and that was your opportunity. Here's the other thing. With 14 seconds left, and I know at that point the 49ers are finally playing cover six sidelines. So they got yeah. three guys in each sideline. I'd have much rather taken two shots at the end zone throwing the ball because I've got a couple of really good receivers, like let mm-hmm. them go up and get one because yeah. you're going to get two shots at it. I much rather would have done that because the closer you get and it jams you're up. only going to get, it jams up. It's so hard to throw a Hail Mary right. from the right. 30. Right, right. Give me two attempts at Pater as opposed yeah. to one and then another one that's a little right. bit closer. And does that really help me? It helps me maybe a little. You could argue that, but it's only one attempt versus two 
from what was it the 40 42 whatever yeah, it was somewhere somewhere around I, there yeah it's it's a hail mary but not quite a hail mary but it's pretty much a hail mary yeah i mean, I mean so what so so two of them if maybe you don't justin the herbert one. he's throwing a frozen theater rope into the end zone <laughs> depositing it into the cavity of a receiver i mean yeah. just but he, but Dak's not that well you know and now the world is finally starting to notice that since the Texans joined the league, really since the Cowboys last won the Super Bowl, that Houston has more playoff wins than the Cowboys. Not that that's something to hang a banner about, but hey, I'm going to bring it up and the Texans will be at Dallas next year. <laughs> Johnny, thanks a lot for the time. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. That's it for the podcast. We'll have plenty more coming your way as the Texans add to the head coaching candidate list. Stay tuned for more and check out the Texans app for all the other podcasts, articles, everything. Go Texans.